0: Hello, welcome, and thank you for listening to First Responder Psychological Support. I'm Sarah Gura, a licensed clinical professional counselor in the state of Illinois. I am an EMDR therapist and a yoga teacher, and my practice is the self-care path in Burr Ridge, where I treat first responders. And this is season two, episode five, Stop Blaming My Childhood. (laughs) But first, and as always, let's Get grounded and centered by taking a nice deep breath in that expands the chest. And when you exhale, maybe just allow that to melt and to settle into your seat or whatever it is that you're doing. Maybe straighten the spine, pulling the shoulders down away from the ears. Maybe even doing a neck roll or some gentle twists. And even rocking side to side on the hips if you're sitting down or really planting your feet firmly so that you can take a moment to listen. I want to introduce two ideas before I get started on this particular topic, which the first idea is many people, when they take a nice deep breath in, expanding the chest, they will fill their lungs from the top down and they don't totally fill their lungs when they're doing that. So one thing that I would like you to try doing while I'm talking or maybe at another time is to take your deep breath in and imagine filling your lungs from the bottom up and just notice how that feels different and what kind of control you have with that type of breath. Another idea I want to introduce is the idea of Tonglen. It's a Buddhist practice that's contradictory to the American practice. Um, Our American culture will say, take a breath in. And when you breathe in, breathe in all the good stuff. And when you exhale, exhale all the bad shit. And we might see that on a t-shirt or a bumper sticker or, you know, on some social media. But Tanghalin says, breathe in all the bad, actually. Take in all the pain and the suffering and the problems and the conflicts of the world and breathe it in. And when you exhale, think about love, gratitude, kindness, compassion, and wisdom. Some of the things that we lack in the world that we need a little bit of. And when we exhale that love, gratitude, kindness, compassion, and or wisdom, whatever you choose to do, you identify with that exhale like you're giving it. And sometimes we say it's better to give than receive. Um, And even if you don't agree with that, I would love for you to try to do Tonglen and just see how it feels to visualize things a little bit differently when you're breathing. But I want to jump in now to this episode five of Stop Blaming My Childhood, which actually, I'm not going to stop blaming your childhood. (laughs) Um, I titled it this because that's what a lot of first responders always say. Like, oh my God, we're not going to talk about my mom again, are we? I don't want to blame my dad. Look, my parents were really great. I had a pretty good childhood. And I guess I want to tell everybody, I get it. You probably did have a pretty good childhood. Most of you, not all of you had a pretty good childhood, which is why you're high-functioning and you are doing a career and making your way through this life. But even high-functioning people have childhoods that have a lot to do with who they have become. And I really do want to lay the foundation so that everyone understands their own psychology. And, you know, the best I can, I'm on the 17th episode of this podcast to help you comprehend just how important it is to love yourself and that that can be very difficult, but it's necessary and it's necessary for you to do and to be well. Um, In our world and especially with Leo's and firefighters and even dispatchers and nurses, um, we are very quick to judge them and their level of sissiness or vulnerability or weakness or how tough and how strong and how intimidating are you. And it's important, you know, to be assertive and powerful in this world, but especially the first responder world. You could get eaten alive out there. I've seen it happen to many people. And when you're in a world of a hierarchy model, Um, It could be dangerous to be weak or, or vulnerable. And I certainly understand that. But we have this culture that I would call a culture of masculinity crisis. And you've heard me say it before that we tell boys and men all the time, don't cry about it, don't talk about it, and don't ask for help. And when you become a first responder, that becomes an even bigger deal to follow that set of rules. And the people who implement them, and force them, or enforce them. Uh, They want to be listened to, they want to be heard, they want you to do as they say, and they want you to do it well. But I always ask when there's this pressure to conform to someone else's standard, or idea of living, I, I usually like to ask, well, who is this benefiting? And in the first responder culture, we have more men than we have women. And so we have to take a look at the boys' culture and how we tell them to don't cry or I'll give you something to cry about. Um, We tell them to rub some dirt in it. We tell them, why don't you go away if you're going to be like that? And then we ask, why do men isolate themselves when they're upset, when they're adults? Um, Because they were taught when they feel bad, you should go to the basement. You should go in the garage. You should go to the hole in the wall bar. Just get out of here because we don't know how to deal with your feelings. So, of course, boys learn how to become men and men learn how to become first responders. And if you're a woman in any of these fields, you can take whatever I'm saying and times it by 10 and the standards or expectations are even higher or you're not fit to do the job and you're proving everybody uh, badly right, so this is a horrible thing that we do to the first responder psyche, and we have to learn to undo some of this damage and one way is we have to take a look at the culture, but today we 're going to go back into the childhood and look at that culture as well and Again, I want to acknowledge that this can be pretty uncomfortable if you get along with your parents and you love your parents um and you may also start to feel a little fear, like, did I just fuck my kids up or what? Um, so if you're a parent listening to this, <laughs> it, you're, you can survive and you will be okay. If anything, just take the insights and go with the flow. And if you don't want to um, agree, of course, that's okay. But I want to talk about Eric Erickson and the different stages of development if you type in Eric Erickson psychological stages of development it'll pop right up it's easiest to see if you click on like the images that come up on the internet and it'll outline it for you pretty well especially if you want to look at that and excuse me follow along but Eric Erickson is a interesting guy he named himself um so Eric Erickson son of myself here uh talks about the different things or conflicts that we will face at each phase of our lives and how we hope to resolve them now these developmental stages uh I believe he doesn't talk about this quite yet um but I believe that we have a pre-life existence and development simply because you know we had half of our DNA in an egg that was in our infant mother that was in our grandma's ovaries at one point, you know, it goes that far back. And so I think about what was the culture of grandma as she was carrying your mother and what did your mother saturate herself in during her lifespan that may have affected your DNA in that way. But again, some people think that's too deep, but it's a life story Uh, for me as a clinician. And also, what was it like to be in her womb with sperm meets egg? Like how, how was that travel? You know, because sperm meets egg, you become a blastocyst, that blastocyst hooks into the inside of the endometrium of a uterus. And we go through meiosis and mitosis and uh, we go from zygote to fetus to baby, you know, and if the mother is very stressed out and poor and isn't getting her needs met, that's creating an environment for that baby. And if we take a look at mom and see a bunch of comfort and education and uh, her needs are being met and she's safe and secure. That's a different type of womb environment. And so they say that we have to resolve that, you know, and I always think just of maybe a baby that was born in the ghetto or maybe spent nine months developing in the ghetto and had malnutrition and experienced the cortisol, the catecholamines, the stress hormones from the mother um, or her hunger, all those things, right, that just contribute to a very rough start. And so I like to consider that and I like to um, ask people at least as you, if you've listened to previous podcasts, I like to ask about mom's pregnancy with you and any story that's attached to it because we tend to identify with it. But to move on, I want to identify these eight stages um, really quickly, and then I'm going to break them down. The first stage is zero to 18 months old, and the stage is called trust versus mistrust. And of course, the resolution to that would be that you develop hope as a child. And I'll talk about why that's important in just a second. From 18 to three years is the second stage, so 18 months to three years old, and that's called autonomy versus shame or doubt. And here we're looking to develop your will. And then the third stage, three to five years old, is initiative versus guilt, and we hope to resolve that in a way that you have a sense of purpose. From 5 to 13 years old, which is the fourth stage, this is called industry versus inferiority. And this is resolved, hopefully, with you being or feeling competent. So that's a competency stage. The fifth stage is 13 to 21 years old, roughly. Some some charts may have slightly different ages, but this is, generally speaking, and close enough that you should get the gist of it. But that fifth stage is identity versus role confusion and the core competency there or resolution is fidelity. The sixth stage is 21 to 39 years old and that's called intimacy versus isolation and of course the hope is that you experience love. And then the seventh stage is 40 to 65 years old This is called generativity versus stagnation. We want you to express care in the world. And then the eighth and final stage is for 65-year-olds and up. This is called integrity versus despair. And the resolution of this, of course, is wisdom. Now, as I go through each stage, I want you to understand I'm not doing anything but explaining Right? Sometimes we like to make excuses. We like to make justifications for our behaviors. But what I really want us to do is just understand, right? Understand through the explanation. So, from birth to, you know, one, two years old ish, right? The trust versus mistrust stage is where we're going to start. So, this is a question of how can I become a secure human being? When a baby is born, it needs to be born into a safe, consistent, secure, and loving environment where the caregiver, not the caretaker, so caretakers, you know, kind of do things because of a job or out of resentment, but a caregiver is a, a word or a concept that involves a lot of love, gratitude, unconditional positive regard for the baby. So when that caregiver meets your needs, your wants, and your preferences very reliably. This stability from the main caregiver is what is going to allow you to trust. Um, We must learn that people can be reliable at this very young stage. And yes, we need to learn to stay away from those who are not reliable and trustworthy. But This is a challenging age where the baby you have to remember is completely vulnerable. Um, This is why the cry it out method is often challenged and why we say there is no such thing as a spoiled baby. Uh, It's because this baby needs to be completely protected from everything. Everything is a threat to a baby and they need their neck and head supported They need warmth and temperature regulation. They don't have an immune system yet. Their digestion is completely new and making a poop and burping is a huge, big deal. And if you've never run food through your body before in your life, but you're going to do it as this newborn baby so that you can live and grow and develop and build your own gut flora and start building your own immune system, um, I can't think of a stage that is more vulnerable and in need of intense love and support. And it has to be met with loving, stable parents who have frustration tolerance and who are emotionally intelligent and who are competent at taking care of not only in themselves, but now this extension of themselves, which is their baby. Um, because this teaches you everything about the world. And if we do not have this kind of care, then of course, in the first responder world, I often hear, I don't trust anybody. I don't trust anyone unless they give me a reason to. Um, or even then, I'm not going to trust. That always flags me to what happened to you very young. What was that pregnancy like? What was birth to three years old like? Did you walk, talk, and potty train on time, which is getting into the second stage. But it's because I'm looking to see what stage do we have to start developing your own self-love. Because if you mistrust, it means you're not open. And that's going to cause you all kinds of issues. If you are closed off, you're going to be a fearful person. Not trusting is fearful, yet many of you don't admit you have fears. But I understand you want to protect yourself, but you often will protect yourself with destructive behavior if your infant life didn't create or build trust within you and in this world for you. Um, this is a vulnerability in a bad way. Maybe we can say this. Um, it's almost like when you were younger, you could have been attacked and you were. And so that's why you think you're always going to be attacked now and you can't trust. There'll be a ton of fear about rejection and abandonment and loving your whole self, will be challenging. And loving your whole self and all the parts that we have been talking about in previous podcasts is one of the toughest lessons that we will face as human beings. My hope is that you don't have to go all the way back to trust versus mistrust. But if so, we have to embrace imperfection. And we have to help you realize how important and significant you are, that you are beautiful and that you are smart. And that you have to stop trying to prove your worth, especially to other people. You just need to turn inward and learn to trust. But this is why these stages are so important to talk about. And these are some of the buzzwords that I'm listening for to find out how far back do we have to go. And to be quite honest, most people have to go all the way back to the beginning. So don't like freak out if you're like, oh my gosh, I have to go back to stage one. We all are learning and growing and developing these stages as we go through life and become more aware of them. My hope is that your journey um, is a smoother sailing process. But let's go to stage two. Stage two is like two to three years old. And the question here is, can I be independent? It's called autonomy versus doubt. And we still need a very consistent, stable, loving, caring set of parents. That would be the most ideal. This is what allows self-esteem to develop, and mostly this is happening in potty training, in food choices, toy preferences, and even clothing selection. So this sounds real basic, but man, they're big, big deals in a little human's life. So what we want to do in potty training is create a deep sense of personal control and get them to develop their physical skills so that they are autonomous. Of course, this even includes the crawling, walking, running, and doing it well. And like I said before, are you teaching them food choice? And are you supporting their choice? Now, you can't put Snickers bars down in an apple and be like, make a good food choice but an apple and an orange. Make a choice. You chose the orange. Yay, I'm proud of you. Good. Those things are important to hear at that phase of life so that they can feel rewarded for having a preference or for having a need and a want. Um, toy preferences fit the same thing. When you put two toys in front of them, you don't put a lighter and then like you know, a stuffed animal. (laughs) You have to put down two developmentally appropriate choices and let them choose the toy and then be proud of them and happy for them and encourage them to love that choice because this is going to help them create autonomy instead of doubt. Same thing with the clothing selection. Um, If they need to wear certain goofy outfits, encourage that and let them express themselves. Um, But if you have somewhere to go and they can't be looking all crazy pants, like of course you can wear A or B, they're both appropriate choices and I can then reward you for choosing either one. So in this phase, in order to create an autonomous adult who is not doubting themselves, you wanna get them to use their freedom, but you also want to get them to use their self-restraint. So parents need to allow this freedom and, you know, the question when when you're doing that is, can I do things myself for the child that is? The child needs to figure it out like, yes, I can choose my outfit and yes, I can choose a healthy food and I can choose an engaging toy and I can choose to take myself to the potty and poop or pee in the toilet and show my restraint. Um, when I have a very primal urge, right? So maybe one idea when I'm as I'm talking about this is the very fast-paced parent in 2020 is going to struggle with this. Um, they might even completely miss it because there's always this hurry up, let's go, hurry up, let's go, and there isn't enough choices going on. And if you are doing a lot of for- force choice parenting. You're creating dependence. Your child's going to be very dependent on you. They're not going to be autonomous. They're not going to um, go out and do things without checking in. And then when they get older and you're frustrated, like, why can't you just make this choice? It's because they didn't really have the time to do it when they were younger. And of course, that affects people at work as well, right? So very important phase. Let's move on to the third one. The third phase I said was called initiative versus guilt. This is about, can I be powerful? Am I going to be a powerful person? And this is four to five years old people, (laughs) you know? So again, very important in the development Um, that the child should get out into the environment and explore it. I mean, this is when peekaboo gets more advanced, right? So when they were a little bit younger, they would be sitting in their little height chair and you probably played peekaboo, um, with your kid, or your parents did that with you. And it was so like fascinating, right? Because, like, one minute your parents are there and the next minute they're not, and that's just crazy pants, you know? But then, when you get a little bit older in this initiative versus guilt phase, let's say you, the child goes and explores the environment. Mom's in the kitchen, and the child goes out into the living room, and the child says, Mom? And you go, Yeah? And the kid goes, nothing. And then everything's resolved. Well, what's going on there? That's that's a a child exploring the environment, playing peekaboo. Like, holy crap, I'm in the living room and my mom isn't dictating everything. And I don't even see her. So I'm just going to check. And when she confirms that she's there, I can continue exploring and playing and doing my own thing. That's the beginning of feeling powerful. So your basic family... Are your significant relationships, you're moving out of just your primary caregiver and you're really building relationships, not only with your family, but with yourself, through your self-exploration and your self-direction. And you start to have purpose, like I'm going to go in this other room and I'm going to play with this toy. And that's so important. But if that's not provided, right, then can I be powerful? Am I going to have initiative can get stunted by i feel guilty so of course if we're trying to stand in our environment in the last stage now in this stage you're you're trying to assert yourself you're trying to have that power power defines some of your purpose purpose defines some of the power you have and of course the unfortunate thing is is if you can't explore your environment safely or you are constantly controlled then you're going to experience failure. Failure to get what you want, failure to explore your own curiosity, and that's gonna make you feel inferior or like you don't deserve. And of course, I think of repetition compulsion with with all of you who try to control every damn thing. You want to control people. You want to control fire. You want to control work and your spouse and your kids and your house and control, control, control. Um, I don't want you to control. I want you to be powerful. Otherwise, that repetition compulsion is that you'll just keep repeating the failure in your childhood and keep recreating it in your adulthood. So what we want here, um, or what our hope is, is that you can initiate your own activities, and you can pursue your own goals, not only in this third stage of development, but of course, then in your future. Of course, guilt on the other side, if I am kind of going back and forth, as an adult will look like someone with a lack of ambition, and they'll always feel kind of Subtly deterred from their own choices or their own preferences and desires and in what they want to do, and these are people that I have to encourage quite a bit to go explore the environment and find out what do you want, (laughs) what do you want, right? So, if we can get through that stage in a healthy way, um, when when we think about it, we have a secure person who's becoming pretty independent and now they're becoming pretty powerful. So the next thing is, can I be a good person? Can I be good with this power? That's stage four. You're around age six and it's a puberty time too, which might sound funny or age six to puberty. Like, is this really what's happening that young? Yes. It's called industry versus inferiority. So this is where they're gathering a lot of knowledge, Right. So knowledge acquisition, we call this not only from your caregivers, but now your family members and your neighbors and your peers and the school that you go to and other adults. If you go visit your friends' homes. So you're you're starting to go, hmm, there's some stuff going on that maybe didn't go on in my family. And again, this is associated with competence and achievement. But it's also about coping and learning from these social demands from everybody, right? There's there's also heavy demands in learning. And there are a lot of first responders who are like, yeah, I gave up on that. I didn't apply myself or I didn't really like school. But what we would hope would happen in this phase is that not only are you learning To cope with the social demands, which most first responders did better with, but you have to cope with the demands of learning and both are painful. But if you do do this, then you become that competent feeling, right? What are we trying to resolve? I'm a good, competent person. If you don't get over or through this hurdle very smoothly, we can feel like failures. We can feel inferior to other people um but what we want of course is for you to use your intellectual side and your social self and to also get your physical skills involved um and and get out there and explore uh again only more intensely and at an at an advanced or more advanced level of course what happens when we think we're inferior instead of industrious This is when our self-esteem takes a shit, our self-respect goes down the drain, our worth circles the drain, you know, and it's super sad because self-esteem is usually like the basic human motivation to do something. And if you lack a self-esteem, you're going to lack motivation, which is also why I have to talk about concentrating and going within and developing this part of you in order to function in the world because if you don't and you feel low, like low self-esteem, or inferior to other people, you're going to feel also and think that you're undeserving, that you're defeated, that and you're going to experience depression. You'll have destructive relationships, most likely, um, because you're not learning to cope with your social life and your learning life. And when we fail at this, we start to see a connection with failing to live up to your full potential. So this is a very not confident way of living. And when you think other people are better than you and you deny your own needs and you focus on your weaknesses and your feelings are shame, depression, and anxiety, or you have a super negative outlook and you don't even like positive feedback, like these people who are struggling in this stage, they don't, they don't even like me to compliment them. Um, because they, they have this drive, right, to maybe people please, or they're the ones that can't say no to anything, because they failed at this phase, and they're trying to prove their worth. So I hope that makes some sense. But perhaps I'm spending a little more time on this phase because I do see a lot of this issue in the first responder world and I do try to use the language of that developmental stage or age in order to um, nurture it so that it can grow and develop at the stage you're at right now. But the fifth stage is will I fit into the functioning world or not, right? So this is adolescence. It's identity versus role confusion. This is where... you most likely really started to to develop um an interest in your vocation, your career or what job you really wanted to focus on. And your personality is starting to really develop here as well, especially because of your interactions with your peers and your family, neighbors and school again. You're really integrating your own self-image usually by belonging to a group and you're trying to be your true self, right? And you're trying to do that by seeing how people respond to you, what gets rewarded and reinforced versus maybe something that gets punished or shamed. And you really start to learn how to shape and shift and make some compromise so that you can find the stillness of who you are or the truth of who you are. And yes, this happens this young. And so the peers, the family, the neighbor, the school is so important um, because the alternative is that you're going to face a lot of confusion about who you are and what your role is with people. And again, a lot of first responders will deny their own needs and become pretty codependent. And they'll meet the needs, the wants, and the preferences of other people, deny their own, and then feel resentment and bitterness, wondering how come I can't get the same love that I put out there. And having a very weak sense of self Is what I would call a house of cards situation. Like it's very easy to blow you over. There's no brick laid, you know, in that foundation. So we may have to go back and really talk about, you know, who are you and how are you going to integrate your whole self into your personality, not just the one that got rewarded when you were a kid. So we want you to find out who you are. And basically, you have to accept that you're a unique person. And your needs, wants, and preferences really define that. Like needs are necessary. Wants define your uniqueness. Preferences are things that you should speak up for. Um, You need to know who you are and what you want to do with your life. (laughs) And I've, I've said this a couple of times. And every time I say, what do you want? I think of that. If you saw the movie The Notebook, cheesy as hell. You know when he holds his hand on his heart and he looks at that woman and he's like, "What do you want? <laughs> what do you want? Like, just like admit it, say it, shit." Um, sometimes I feel like I'm doing that in the office. Like, if I gave you complete and full permission, what would you say you freaking wanted? Um, that that would be helpful if you can come to peace with what you want and and gain the strong sense of self that you need in order to exist in this crazy world. I want you also to have a a clear picture of what you want, at least right now, like a little blueprint of what you would like to happen. Uh, and I understand that life happens when you're making plans, but a blueprint will be just fine. Like let's start there and work from there. Um, I just want you to be yourself and I want you to self-create. So let's talk about the next stage. Moving on to the next step in creation, right? Um, This is the sixth stage and this is can I be in love? This is early adulthood. This is about intimacy versus isolation. And what we want is that you have deep and lasting friends, lovers, careers, Um. The ability to engage even in competition and cooperation with other people. This is really about the ability to experience long term committed relationships so that you can s- experience intimacy and caring and not only caring for other people but being cared for yourself. And we want you to build these strong relationships, otherwise, The problem here is a bunch of isolation and loneliness. And so we have to have mutuality and reciprocity. And we have to have mutuality and reciprocity in career and in love. So an example of mutuality and reciprocity in your career, I may say things like, Being a cop is how you like to make money. Being a firefighter is how you like to make money. And you guys hate that. I don't do it for the money. Yes, you do. Because let's just take your salary away. And what would you do? You would have to go get a job at Jewel and be a cashier. And then you can go volunteer, be a copper firefighter. So you have to have this mutuality and reciprocity. You do the work. The job pays you. There's the relationship, the long-term committed relationship. And you need to see that as a part of your identity, not all of your identity. Um, It's a relationship, not a defining factor. And when it comes to love, what is mutuality, reciprocity? You get to make your needs, wants, and preferences known. And you let your partner tell you and you help them meet their needs, wants, and preferences. So wouldn't that just be lovely otherwise we're going to have commitment issues and you're not going to have any investment in other people and of course that antisocialness is a mess because human beings are social creatures social creatures are sexual creatures um this makes me also think you know like we need to thrive this way but if you think about why why did we close orphanages even though the foster program in my eyes is broken Why don't we have orphanages anymore? Why don't we just put them all in one place and take care of them there? Because we were killing children and kids this way. What was happening? There was no intimacy. There was no loving affection. I'm not talking about sex. I'm just talking about intimacy, right? Like I know all the details of you. And so when the kids were dying in the orphanages and we were trying to look at why do they all have such weak immune systems and why are they dying and not thriving? It was literally because they weren't getting hugged. They weren't being touched in a kind, loving way from a caregiver. Um, They weren't told I love you uh, often, if at all. And so we don't do that. We've also learned by the way that adults who did not experience This intimacy, but in fact, a lot of isolation in their childhoods. They grow up to be adults that have high blood pressure, heart disease, obesity, weakened immune systems. They get anxious, depressed, they have a cognitive decline. So, any of those um, diseases in old age with cognitive decline um, sometimes can be a reflection of what's going on in that childhood stage. And of course, suicide, you know, is there. So the bottom line is social isolation is deadly. You might think that you are a really great solitary creature. And in some ways, I think I'm kind of a great solitary creature. But I definitely know that I need connection and love and commitment and a relationship, not only with others, um, but with my own career. So... If we can get through that phase and develop it to that beautiful layout, um, we can move to the seventh stage, uh, which is middle adulthood. And this is about what will I leave behind? So we call this generativity versus stagnation. I talk about this a lot, um, especially with clients that are over 35 years old, um, what we want, what generativity means is I want you to be productive and creative and engaged in society. And I want you to do your labor, your career, and share a home, right? That's generativity or meaning a family of creation to achieve this. So the hope is that you saw your parents doing divided labor and supporting one another in the home. And Maybe different than your family of origin as parents now with your family of creation, you can show how do we work as a team? How are we productive? How do we help one another? But what are we doing this for? It's to nurture all the things that may outlast you. So what the heck does that mean? Um, by the time you are 35 or older in a first responder career, you should be a mentor You should have a mentee and you should be guiding and teaching them. You should be passing on the wisdom of 10 plus years in your career. And of course, doing that with people in your community around you and whatever it is that you're guiding and teaching them about, it should be creating positive change that benefits other people it's not this isn't a phase about it necessarily benefiting you except for completing the phase itself but you should be useful and you should have accomplished enough that you could guide and teach others for their well-being or for the well-being of the community the idea is that if we don't learn this stuff um we start to fail And we feel a shallow involvement in our world, or we feel disconnected from the world. And we lack interest in our own personal growth and productivity. Now, maybe I should emphasize too, like a lot of this is not going to be settled in your childhood. In fact, anything from the last stage, intimacy versus isolation, through this seventh and eighth phase... This is something more that you have to work on. But phases five, four, three, two, and one lay a lot of the foundation for how this is going to go down. Um, So in this seventh stage, again, generativity is I hope you're giving back to the world around you. And that even includes getting married if you would like to, having children if you would like to. That's contributing or leaving your own legacy. Um, And making sure that they grow up healthy and strong. Otherwise, again, we have stagnation or some self-absorption there. And that doesn't feel good. So what about the final and last stage from Eric Erickson? We want to talk about late adult life here. And this is when I'm talking to the retired first responders or those who are facing retirement. This is called integrity versus despair. And this is such an emotional topic, I think, for people because you have to do a life review. At 65 and older, you're going to start doing that life review and evaluation, not only of yourself, but of your life in totality. And if it did not include you extending yourself and being a part of humankind, uh, or creating or being a part of some extended family, uh, we can get hurt by this. But that's not that that's not the main thing. What we want is that you have a sense of integrity, that you have a sense of satisfaction about how you made it through. And I wouldn't want you to have despair about your life. I don't want you to look back and say, man, Sarah, I wish I would have done it differently. I wish I could go back. I wish I could buy time. If I could do this all over again, I would. That is some heavy despair talk. Uh, So what you do now is important so that you do feel a sense of integrity. That you look back on your life and you feel fulfilled and you feel wise and You notice the richness of life around you. I think that's what I was trying to say when I mentioned humankind and being a part of a social circle of some kind or extended family. Um, Because when we're not, when I see that you're not, I see some bitter old men and women that have a lot of regret. They want to do over and they don't understand that death is a part of life. They think that death is the ending to their life. They don't see the gift of death. Um, They think that they're facing this terrible, scary thing, and there's all this fear. But I want you to face death without fear someday. And again, see it as a part of life, not an ending. My hope is that you can sort of smile and nod when it's your turn, knowing that you did the best you could and your best was good enough. And so... That is the final and last stage, right? Is to find and experience integrity, not despair. So I'm going to leave it at that. I know I said a lot. A part of me wants to have one episode per stage. But the idea is that I introduce this to you, that you increase your awareness about it so that you can notice it more often within yourself to see, oh my gosh, this this issue that I'm struggling with goes back to this phase of my life, and I'm gonna grow that part up myself because we are totally and completely capable of growing that part up a little bit more and a little bit more each time we choose uh, to do so. So I want people to again realize that loving yourself is important. Receiving love from others is important. It goes all the way back to your childhood and whether or not you were fulfilling some of these stages competently, joyfully, um, and with loving support and kindness. So with all that said, I'm going to say thank you for listening to First Responder Psychological Support. Again, I'm Sarah Gurra, a licensed clinical professional counselor for first responders at the Self-Care Path in Burridge, Illinois. And don't forget to do life so it doesn't do you. Take good care of yourself. And of course, stay very safe.